Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm still Alyssa Mastromonaco. You're still Alyssa Mastromonaco? Erin, someday I have to figure out how to say my name better. It's very, like, syllabic. How else would you say the name Mastromonaco? I don't know. We just need to come up with something cooler. So we'll just put that on the docket for fall 2022. But wasn't the... I feel as though the Italian language was designed around the fact that all the vowels are open and all the consonants kind of jump into the next vowel, which makes it a great they singing language. It makes so it a good I singing language. So I think if you were if you were doing it, you'd be like, Alyssa Mastromonaco or something like that. But I say Mastromonaco. I just don't know. I'm 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 upset and tired of the way I say my last name. I feel like being a part of a show like the rehearsal would only cause you to spiral into spiral. Uh, self-hate, much like the actual show did with the actual star of the rehearsal, which is great. It's one of your faves. It's so good. I cried in the finale. That was like me in the split. <laughs> I cried and cried. <laughs> I'm glad we found our, our TV sanity corners this summer. Yeah. This week, we're joined by Dana Schwartz and Grace Parajani to tackle the following questions. What does Biden's student loan relief plan do? And what doesn't it do? Does being an effective world leader mean being the most boring human alive? And who has a bone to pick with primary results coverage? All this and more right now. Alyssa, welcome to Hysteria. I feel like I never welcome you specifically to Hysteria. Oh, Aaron, I'm always feeling welcomed. Oh, that's good. Well, I just don't want to take you for granted. We've been oh, doing this girl, like thank 200 you. 200 times, at least more than 200. 200 times. and like 11. It's so many times. So, um, well, let's start the news this week on a high note. It's the best way to start the news. Indeed. Uh, It's sometimes the only way to successfully get through it without Mm -hmm. being like, mama. Okay, so to start on a high note, this is kind of a lighter than normal high note, but it really made me feel happy in a sustained way. So do you remember the American Girl dolls? Of course. I mean, they still exist. But, like, do you remember them as a part of your 
childhood. They came after my time, but I remember them for the kids I babysat for. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like the OG historical ones were super popular exactly. in the 80s and 90s. And, and since then, I, I've been in an American Girl place before. It looks like it's it's like approaching Disneyland levels. It's intense. It's a, It's an empire. So it's like, I guess the best way to describe it when I was a kid was it was like Barbie for little girls whose moms took women's studies classes. Hundred percent, or went to like all women's colleges, right? Right, or like wouldn't <laughs> let their daughters wear two-piece bathing suits until they were at least twelve, um, which was my mother. Um, okay, so there's a new American Girl doll in town, a historic American Girl doll, not a contemporary mm-hmm. one. And the real story of how this doll came to exist is almost as interesting as the fictional American Girl doll books, um, except maybe the one where Kirsten's best friend dies of cholera. Uh, <laughs> Can't Fucking believe cholera. that's in a children's book. I sometimes think back to Meet Kirsten, and I'm like, that was fucked up that they killed. It's borderline Grimm's fairy tale. They kill Marta in the very beginning of cholera. Anyway, so let me set the stage for you. The year is 2020. Okay. The month? September. Author Britt Bennett, who wrote that year's mega smash hit book, The Vanishing Half, and she's also written The Mothers, that came up before, uh, she tweeted, give us a black American girl doll set in the 90s and please let me write it. And then she put a little nerdy emoji afterwards. Well, two years later, Britt Bennett is the author of the first book in the American Girl series about Claudia Wells, a black girl growing up in Harlem during the Harlem Renaissance era. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. So cool. And Claudia has a dog called Dizzy Dot. I mean, this is going to be one for the ages. I'm going to get it for my niece. Yeah, I mean, Juniper's not American Girl doll aged yet, but when she gets there, I'm sure she will want. Also, Claudie's clothes are really cute. They're really cute, and I just feel like, and there's a whole, you get the doll, the doll comes with the book, or you can buy the commemorative hardcover in your bookstore. Yeah, super exciting. Britt Bennett going from being a adult author of, like, award-winning fiction and just being like, I want to write an American Girl book, and then doing it. Which is great because she had said, too, that it was her dream at some point in her career to write a story for young adults. And, like, here she gets one of the biggest platforms ever. That's super cool. Very, very cool story. Um, I was thinking about a future American Girl doll that is set in 2022. and oh, sad. Uh, yeah. I mean. How's she doing? <laughs> probably not too great. She, she, uh, I mean, lost her rights. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not a great time to be a real or fictional American child. But, um, I was thinking, I think an American girl doll that is, you know, eight years old in the year 2022 would have a mother or a father that had a hard time paying off their student loans. I feel like that would be a major plot point in that book. It's a plot point for 45 million people in America. Yes. And uh, on that note. On that note. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about student loans. So first, it's Wednesday. We're recording before President Biden's press conference where he's going to talk about what's exactly in the bill, though we think that the New York Times has given us the meat of what it's in. Okay. And so what do you do? What do you know? What do I know? What do we know? So what we know is that, like you said, 45 million Americans have student loan debt that is outstanding. Uh, And to paraphrase Liz Lemon in an episode of 30 Rock where she talked about her unpaid student loans, outstanding. Outstanding. Um, 
the amount of student loan debt is crushing to a lot of people. A lot of people, Mm -hmm. um, I I read a Twitter thread this week uh, from a woman who's a social worker in New York City who said when she graduated from from college, she owed $52,000 and she's been paying off her student loans for 10 years and she now owes $53,000. And uh, student loans and the way that education is paid for in this country basically positions it so rich kids pay less for their education than poor kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you can pay for it up front, it costs less than if you just spent, you know, the next 20 to 25 years paying off student loans, which can end up being double or triple the cost of your actual education. So it is a huge problem. It is a huge barrier between uh, people who are in one economic class who maybe have the education and the skills to move up an economic class, but emerge into the working world with debt that prevents them from ever doing that, ever owning a home, ever having a family. So people have been calling for President Biden to forgive some of these student loans. During mm-hmm. his campaign, he he promised that he would. Right. And now we're finally at the point where we're finding out what that looks like. So what is that going to look like? Okay, Aaron. So like we said earlier, 45 million people in America owe over $1.6 trillion for federal loans taken out for college. That is so much fucking money. That's that's more than they owe on car loans, credit cards, or any other consumer debt other than mortgages. Um, And so what we have learned about the Biden plan, it appears that there are two components and then one sort of like ancillary bit of news. One... The government will be forgiving $10,000 of uh, loan forgiveness for people who make $125,000 or less or $250,000 if you are a married couple. And they will be forgiving $10,000 additionally on Pell Grants. Now, I was confused because a Pell Grant is a grant, not a loan. But a lot of times people get Pell Grants. And so I I thought this was a bit of jiggery-pokery. And I was like, "Mm, are they telling us they're doing something that actually won't cost any money because Pell Grants don't get forgiven? Right. And it's no. People, a lot of times people will receive a Pell Grant and then they will get an additional scholarship, which then makes them ineligible for the Pell Grant. And then they have to pay it back like pretty quickly. They're uh, people whose status changes throughout college if they're going full-time and have to drop down to part-time. Or um, people who had to withdraw from school for of like sundry reasons. So it tends to. So whereas I was thinking this was a little jiggery pokery shady, it actually does help people who are uh, the most financially impacted. And so that's good. And then the one sort of uh, not kind of great news, I guess, is that uh, President Biden will extend the um, sort of moratorium on having to repay college loans right now, but only until December 31st. Okay. And they say that will be his last extension. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that is also sort of interesting about all this is that a lot of reporters and smart people like, you know, us, um, people are saying that this will be challenged in court. So it's unclear when any people will actually start seeing any relief. Mm -hmm. And I also want to point out that uh, any loan forgiveness programs that previously have existed, like loan forgiveness programs that existed for teachers, for example, uh, have been notoriously poorly run. Right. 
NPR did an expose a couple years back about teachers who fulfilled all of these requirements to have their loans forgiven only to find out that they had filed a form a couple days late or done something tiny wrong in the entire process and had the entire thing nullified. And it just threw their lives into a complete uh, tizzy. It's, it's really bad. And if there is some form of loan forgiveness, if it does make it through court challenges, I would really hope that it was better managed than previous attempts yeah. to forgive debt under certain conditions. I also want to point this out. And I, you know, there needs to be some sort of cost of living adjustment to means-tested yes. forgiveness programs. Uh, it is really ridiculous to imagine, like imagine a person, an unmarried person, living in New York or Los Angeles because that is where their job is, making $125,000. $125,000 in New York or Los Angeles is not enough to afford a lot of apartments. Right. No, definitely. Um it is not a high income in a lot of cities in the country. And it's definitely not an income where like student loan payments are not a burden. Right. And, you know, I actually had to have my parents still guarantee my apartments until I made well over $150,000. Yeah. You need a co-signer for a lot of apartments yeah. in New York City. I think it ha they have to make 80 times what the rent yep. is. So if you're not, uh, if you don't have rich parents, uh, you're sort of SOL. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it, the thing about, the thing about this is uh, cost of living is such a giant factor in the quality of life that people experience. And it varies so much across this country. Um, I, like many Californians, spend time looking at Zillow in cities where theoretically I wouldn't mind living and getting depressed a lot. Um, the amount of house that you can afford for $750,000 in most places in the U.S. is so much substantially better than what you can get where I live. You can't buy a house right. for that much here. You just can't. It's like a burned out shed and there's going to be 20 bids and they're going to be all cash. This is something that is going to have people fall through the cracks that we can see from here. Mm -hmm. um, unmarried people in high cost of living cities are going to get kind of hosed. Um, also, people who owe more than $25,000. I mean, $10,000 is not nothing, but it's also not what a lot of people need. And Alyssa, my understanding is that forgiving more wouldn't really cause that much more of a ding. That is what I have been reading online. Some of the analysts, financial analysts have said that like, truthfully, if you didn't cap it at $125,000, the, you know, if people are talking about how much this adds, I think that, that this program would add something like $300 billion uh, to the federal deficit, something around there. And if you just kind of said anybody who has it can have $10,000 of relief, it's um, it's like an incremental, it's like a marginal uh, ad collect to the federal deficit. So it's like, at some point, why don't you just let everybody have it? It just, it's like, look, it worked for Social Security. Like, let everybody have it. We all pay our taxes. But the other thing that this brings up too is that you know, tuition's a fucking problem. And states need to be incentivized to stop cutting funding to their university systems, which is driving up tuition. They need to be funded in a way that incentivizes them to use a larger percentage of their endowment on student aid and on 
tuition. And also maybe we could rethink how many jobs really need a college degree. Mm -hmm. Just saying. I would also add that I think that there should be caps on the total amount that a person should be expected to pay back over the entire life of the loan. A person who graduates with $53,000 in debt, like the example I used before, a person should not, after 10 years, still owe the exact amount of their principal to pay back. That is ridiculous. Nobody should have to pay like three times the cost of their college tuition over the life right. of their loans. That's that's ridiculous. And, you know, while we're talking about this, I think that student loan debt relief is a major, it's going to be a major boon for some people. It's going to be super helpful for some people. I don't want to downplay the significance of a $10,000 loan forgiveness, especially for like a married couple making under $250,000 totally. living in a lower cost of living area. I don't want to downplay that at all because that is a lot of money. It's progress. Yeah, it is progress. But you and I have talked about on the show that there's other forms of debt that that might have a little bit of a wider impact on Americans mm-hmm. as a whole. And one of those things we've talked about is medical debt. Um, forgiving medical debt, I think would make a huge difference to people. And I don't think there's any way to spin medical debt forgiveness, um, as something that only helps quote unquote, the elites. Um, Right. So that's, that's just, just throwing that out there. I think, you know, if anyone's listening, we feel pretty passionately about this one because this is something that, um, every person in America should be able to go to school. Um, you do not have a choice if you have to go to the hospital. And I heard a story this morning about how the cost of ambulance rides are going up and some ambulances now don't take certain kinds of insurance. And it's like, you shouldn't have to, in a crisis, be like, I'm I'm sorry, Greenport Ambulance who picked me up from my car accident. Do you take United Healthcare? Like that's an absurd proposition. It's a fucking absurd proposition. And so I agree. I would like to see a task force put together on how uh, we could relieve some medical debt. Yeah. See, again, as with this, we're always going to come up against people who profiteer off of bundling and selling debt-based securities and financial instruments. And to those people, I say, fuck off. Entirely. Yeah. Whatever you have, you don't need all of it. Uh, You don't need all of it. You are profiting off of the collective and commodified misery and debt subservience of millions of people. And fuck it. You do not need what you think you need. You do not need. And uh, you're gross. And I don't like you. That's that's how I feel about. Cosign. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about people who are profiteers off of debt, like medical debt and uh, and and student loan debt. Um, Let's see what else. Oh, you know what? I wanted to talk Hmm. about this when it came out the other week. We didn't really get into it. But when I saw this piece of news, I was like, this guy's going to be the president one day. And I know I've said that about a couple people. I think I've said that about Liz Cheney, but like with dread. Um, and I'm saying it in hopes of, of of maybe like blunting it and making it so that that doesn't happen. But this, I don't think I would mind if this person became the president one day. They do a good job. They do a good job. Secretary Mayor Pete. At the de- Honestly, he always has to be Secretary Mayor Pete. Secretary Mayor Pete. If he became the president, he'd be President Secretary Mayor Pete. He just <laughs> adds the titles to the front. I don't know why, but I feel like it's appropriate. Um, he's in charge of the U.S. Department of Transportation. And on August 3rd, the U.S. Department of Transportation proposed new rules 
to protect airline passengers in a way that when I read them, I was like, oh, thank goodness. Amen. So the rules would codify the department's longstanding interpretation that failing to provide refunds for airline cancellations or significantly changed U.S. flights is an unfair practice. So basically, if an airline changes the schedule enough that it's a cancellation or like drastically moves when your flight is, um, you are entitled to a refund. So it also would require U.S. and foreign air carriers to provide refunds for pandemic-related travel cancellations instead of vouchers or credits. Mm -hmm. So if you can't fly because of the pandemic, um, you just get a refund. It's not, you don't get an airline voucher. They just give you your money back, which is great. Another part of that, um, which I was reading on, uh, on one of my parenting newsletters is I didn't realize this, but in some airlines charge for families to sit together. What? Yeah. Some airlines charge for, uh, parents to get seats next to their children. You have to pay a premium for seats that are together. For some airlines. I know. I, my brain is blowing into a million pieces. Right, right. So the new rules would also make it so airlines should not be charged. There's like a very sternly worded, do not do this anymore. Airlines should not be charging for parents to sit next to their children. And uh, I can't believe that wasn't a rule. Because that. what's the alternative? They sit with strangers. Yeah. That's fucking dumb. Strangers don't want to do that either. Nobody wants no. that. No, in all fairness, I do not want to do that. I do not want to sit next to someone else's child and just be like, okay, well, I'm just by a kid. What do I do? Yeah, I'm just sitting by a kid now. I mean, I'm sure your kids are lovely, but I don't want to be responsible for your kids. For your kid on no, a no, I don't want I don't want the flight attendant handing out peanuts and being terrified if your kid has a peanut allergy. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So Good changes. Right now, these rules are, uh, I think, in their comment period, which, Alyssa, you're more familiar with this than I am. But basically, there's before a federal agency makes changes like this, they put them out there and they're like, hey, guys, you got anything to say about it? Go ahead and comment. And then after 90 days, it hits what's called the federal register. And then they are rules at that point. Locked and loaded. And also, Aaron, just a reminder that the... uh, Taxpayers awarded U.S. Airlines $54 billion in COVID government assistance for payroll costs. American and Delta each got around $12 billion and United received around $11 billion with only 30% repayable to taxpayers. So to me, this seems utterly fair. Absolutely fair. I think that that airlines that cancel flights for any reason or move them more than three hours should passengers refunds. There's no, like there's, there's some flights that are the door to door time on a flight almost makes it more worth it to take a six drive to to take a six hour drive. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's good. Secretary Mayor Pete, future president, secretary Mayor Pete. Yeah. And we'll be sure to follow up on this one once the comet period is over. Oh yeah. I'm really excited for this because, um, well, I'm sure we'll have new things to complain about when it comes to air travel, but these are huge steps for consumer protection. Huge, especially because I don't know about you, but unless I'm going on a vacation, flying away on a vacation, which I haven't done in almost six years at this point, um, you're going to do something, right? Like we're going to do a show. I'm We're coming out to do the podcast. And if your flight's delayed, chance, like, ex- like excessively, 
chances are you're missing what you were going to do in the first place. So why shouldn't you get your fucking money back? Right. Like a plane ticket is not like an aspiration. Like one day I would like to go to Cleveland for 24 hours. No. And also being like, well, you know what? You should plan ahead and fly the day before. Really? And and then I should pay for a hotel. So let's just stop that line of reasoning. Taking a flight should not be as cumbersome as obtaining abortion care in a red state. We got waiting periods. But I'm bummed. We joke because it's all we have left. It's all we have. All we have left. Um, I wanted to end on a little bit of a high note also, begin and end on a high note. We've been talking about voter registration data because Mm -hmm. we don't know the total impact of Dobbs on voting, but we do know the total impact of Dobbs on different states and who's registering to vote and in what numbers. So we've talked about Kansas. We've talked about Wisconsin. We've talked about Michigan. A new data from Target Smart, the same uh, firm that brought us that data, has found the Keystone State, Pennsylvania, is also showing huge upticks in young women registering to vote in the wake of Dobbs. Um, so, Alyssa, you, you're familiar enough with Pennsylvania politics. Can you like kind of go into why Pennsylvania is so important this election cycle? Well, this election cycle, first, we got a governor's race, which is going to be vitally important. Um, Josh Shapiro is the Democrat running against a fringe lunatic. Actual uh, who lunatic. Would, an actual, actual lunatic, lunatic. Who would 100% remove uh, reproductive uh, health care and abortion rights from people seeking it in Pennsylvania. Um, there's a Senate race. God bless. John Fetterman is uh, crushing Dr. Oz uh, every time he takes to social media. But it's a very important state, and uh, it decides a lot of elections, like in 2024. Um, so this is great news. And also, even uh, up here in my neck of the woods, there was a kind of important race. So Anthony Delgado, congressman, New York 19, was uh, selected to be lieutenant governor. So his seat was open. So this was a special election. And uh, the man who was running against, Mark Molinaro was the Republican, really well-known county executive, Republican, MAGA, and he lost. Yeah. So that district is something, I know that every single time there's a special election in in a district that is gone for Biden and also went for Trump, there are right. you know pundits that are saying, oh, this is a bellwether election. This is a bellwether election. But this is something that a lot of people were taking a look at. And this is... Yeah. It matters. I'm not saying it's dispositive, but it matters. It, it does. It does matter. And uh, it's something that, that some prognosticators are saying does not bode well for Republicans going into the 2022 midterms. Sometimes when we talk about stories like this, there's a part of me that's like, oh, no, I don't want to like talk too much. Jinx it? Yeah. No, or, I know. Or, or, or engender a, a, an attitude of complacency or this feeling that that we can just sit back and let things play out because we are the ones playing the things out. Sitting back is, right. not, is not an option. In order for things to go the way that they need to go, everybody needs to have their hair on fire until November. And, and I will say, even in this state where we have access to abortion, um, all the signs said abortion is on the ballot, which is, by the way, what you and I have been saying. A vote for a Republican is a 
vote for an abortion ban. And I will say the local Democrats were very close to our messaging, Aaron. Good. Well, good. I hope they listen. I hope they keep listening. We're going to keep giving advice. Some of it's going to be bad, but we will not take take responsibility for it because we don't have to because we're not elected officials and they are. We are podcast hosts. Um, Yeah. So good, good stuff happening in Pennsylvania. There's a 12 point gap in registrations by women since Dobbs. Um, That's pretty good. And uh, in New York, in Alyssa's stomping grounds, a special election went the way that Republicans did not want it to go. Mm -hmm. Also good news. Also good news that Republicans have nominated some of the worst Senate candidates in recent memories. Uh, it's a real, it's a real clown car, I would say. Clown car. Yeah, it's a real clown car. But like spooky clowns, like the real menacing clowns. Are there clowns that are not menacing? I mean, I think like, I like Ronald McDonald is a clown and he's not like super menacing, but then they're like the menacing No, clowns. you think Ronald McDonald is not menacing? I mean, I think he's not menacing like that clown. What's his name? Okay. The creepy one. Ima- the creepy Pennywise. one in the sewers. Pennywise. But <laughs> Pennywise. Ima- imagine coming home and opening your door and Ronald McDonald is standing in your living room. That is scary. Okay, that is scary. I grant you that. I guess it's more like Ronald McDonald in his natural habitat, like McDonald's, is not as scary. So if you saw Ronald McDonald in McDonald land, you're right. He wouldn't be scary. If you saw Pennywise anywhere... Scary. I think if I saw Pennywise in Ronald McDonald land, I'd expect that he was visiting the Hamburglar. I imagine that they're friends. To eat him for lunch? <laughs> no, I to hang out and catch up. Talk about <laughs> what their college friends are doing. I think they went to college together. Um, okay, anyway. <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm Me hungry. too. I'd give anything for a hamburger. <laughs> I would really like a, p- a pile of fries and some like fry. This, this utensil. The fry does- salt? I want, no, I want there to be a utensil that I can put over my fingers to eat the fries so that my fingers don't get greasy. Get chopsticks. Oh, good call. Good call. Okay, we have to take a break. When we come back, we have our panel together. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. 
love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, <laughs> not not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have to. I refuse to be uncomfortable I ref- if I want to be productive. <laughs> I refuse to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on a a couch nap. You know, you have, like, a, oh yeah. you've got, like, maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a, like, small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just, like, lay down for 20 minutes. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like— Denim shirt. Denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee, while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. That's perfect. He is, like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just, like, beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're— they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. 
Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast where we will never ban photographers from our parties because we want everyone to know that we're hot and fun. Right, Alyssa? I mean, am I hot? I'm fun sometimes. You are I don't hot know. and fun. Low. No, look. See, I am, <laughs> you know how there are like people who are into, diff- you know, legs or backs. Or I'm into personalities. That's, that's oh, my thing. Oh, you know thing. what? I might have a hot personality. You do have a hot personality. Thank you. Um, but also, you're fun. You're fun. Uh, have you ever had a party picture that you didn't want to be public become public? Yeah, I can still see it in my in my brain. Can you describe it to us? I mean, should I? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's our, our- it's uh, let's let's let me set the scene. Goodwill Hunting had just come out. It was the University of Wisconsin, 1997. Um. And we had a party in our apartment that just, uh, people were doing things. You know, people were doing things. And uh, we thought it was funny to take out our disposable cameras because there were no camera phones back then. And, you know, a couple months later, we were like, wow, these are terrible, sort of incriminating for later in life photos. And we all agreed to the trash shoot they went. But I still, it's seared, seared in my head what those mm. photos looked like. Mm. Well, if they came out, you would probably have to take a, a drug test and apologize to the public if you were the prime minister. That's I, that's what I hear we do now with women who are at a party and have a good time. Yeah. So if, in case you haven't guessed, today we are going to talk about Sanamarin, the prime minister of Finland who is 36 years old, hot and awesome. And for some reason, she's in trouble over those facts. Um it's a little bit more complicated than that. But in order to talk about what we expect of women who are high profile uh, in in the public eye, let's bring in our panel. First off, she's a New York Times bestselling author. Never gets old to say that. Never gets old to hear it. I know. <laughs> and host of the Noble Blood podcast. She can probably give you some theoretical pointers about theoretically how to poison your theoretical enemies. It's Dana Schwartz. A hundred percent. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I couched that because I didn't want you to get arrested. I also have to say, so for the sequel of Anatomy that's coming out next year, there is like a poisoning subplot. And my Google search history is, could, any court would convince. I love it. If if Olivia Benson came to see what was going on in your house, yeah, you'd be prime suspect. I was like, what is lethal dose of arsenic? Arsenic undetectable. How to make arsenic undetectable? So if I were, if, if let's say you were on trial for murder and I was a prosecutor and I was helping pick jurors, yeah. I would try to pick only very old jurors who didn't understand why someone would Google stuff like that. Yeah, that, or people who just like don't read fiction, who don't understand fiction. But if you pick people who are too old, they'll be like, that's how I got rid of my first husband. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, no, the, the perfect juror for this case would be those people who like get mad at Holden Caulfield on Twitter because they don't really understand <laughs> fictional things. oh man and rounding out the panel today she's a writer producer and currently has two shows out in the world first solar opposite season three is on hulu 
And Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3 drops today, Thursday, August 25th. And also, she can give you a few tips for how to be funny in outer space. It's <laughs> Grace Parge. All the time. How are you? I'm well. I'm very curious about what a non-lethal amount of arsenic is because I, I mean, Dana, please, please inspire us. Is there is there such a thing, or is any trace amount? No, I will say during during the 1700s, arsenic was used in dresses and wallpaper to get a green oh. color. It's literally called arsenic green. Oh, arsenic. Far- Pharaoh and Ball. Pharaoh and Ball has a lovely arsenic green color. Ooh. Hmm. Interesting. Um, okay, so let's let's get to the topic of conversation today. We're going to talk about the Prime Minister of Finland and the ensuing kind of I don't know kerfuffle mm-hmm. about it. I mean, we're all kind of rolling our eyes, but <laughs> Grace, I want to start with you. What do you make of this news story? Why do you think it's a news story? And do you think that if uh, she were a 63-year-old man getting drunk on a golf course. People would care. <laughs> Nobody would give a shit, for sure. I will say that my first take when I heard this story was just seething jealousy. Because here's this attractive, prominent woman who is the prime minister of a country and also manages a work-life balance where she's able to party. I feel like I haven't partied since the Obama administration. It's been a long time. So, <laughs> I, you know you know what I mean. So I, I, am, I admire the fact that she's able to have this work-life balance. But I wonder if my jealousy is the reason that this story has been as popular as it has been and why it's been such a thing. I think all the haters are really just jealous. Mm, Interesting. Dana, what do you think? For sure jealous. But also I think it just highlights, I mean, I'm not reinventing the wheel with this, but that impossible gauntlet that women in power are forced to walk. Because really the subtext is we don't want women in power because if they're too you know, rigid and buttoned up, they're stiff and boring and unattractive. And if they're too fun and young and youthful, they're frivolous and unserious. And like, you have to walk this impossible tightrope and any step in either direction is immediately seized upon. And it's just the the purpose of that is so no women are in positions of authority. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be fair, they are the more emotional sex. Right. Well, yes, our our uh, hysterical waters every month, the magnet flow of our of our. Uh, oh, there's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why. That's why we yeah. shouldn't be in power. Just constantly being distracted by parties by cats. and cats. Periods. Don't forget. Pe- periods. Oh my gosh. Oh, periods. Highly distracting. They make us crazy. They make us not able to participate in gym class. Um, <laughs> So the thing about this story that really, at first it was sort of like, oh, there's this video out in public of her having fun. And then it was, oh, people who are her opponents are accusing her of using drugs. And now she's agreed to take a drug test, which is absolutely ridiculous. Alyssa, I wonder what you made of this story as someone who has been like in the public eye and uh, subject to this sort of scrutiny. Well, the funny thing is, is that in the period of my life when I felt that anything I did would be scrutinized, I didn't do anything. Like, I didn't go out. I didn't go to parties. I, I literally just went home and went to work every day because I was, I was actually worried about this and that somehow my behavior would reflect badly on Barack Obama. Hmm. Um, that's crazy. Uh, I really was never in jeopardy of doing anything that was going to embarrass him. But the thing about 
what's happening in Finland. Fundamentally, who did she hurt? Who was negatively impacted by a dance party, which is all that it was. That's all that was on Instagram. It is absurd that she was asked to take a drug test. She was dancing and her clothes were on. Like there is no indictment of character here uh, that she is unfit. I have a theory about this what? actually. So I think that, you know, listening to, to you talk about your time in the Obama administration makes me think that politicians do party. There are galas all the time. There's state dinners. There's fancy yeah, events. in private houses. In private houses. There's lots of alcohol. What we are not used to seeing is politicians dressed like normal people like us Good drinking, point. you know, Coors Light or whatever the fuck. And that's somehow intimidating to us. So it's the type of partying specifically that we saw the Finland prime minister do that I think is what's so jarring to people. But the reality is that politicians and people who have constituents and who are leaders of various countries across the world do party all the time, just in certain contexts. They were friends with Jeffrey Epstein for fuck's sake. Like this is, this is not like, these are not even remotely the same things, but Grace, I think that that's a really good point. Grace, it, it's so smart because if, if she was a man in a tuxedo getting drunk and dancing in that context, we have like an archetype in our brain. We, we understand what that is, and yep. I think it breaks people's brain. But I also then think it comes back to her being a woman because yeah. we even we have an archetype in our brain for like a oh, good old boy. Like if a, a male politician was in jeans and drinking a beer, like in our brain we know what to fit that. You're in. like yeah. he's relatable. Yeah, exactly. We can sort that in our brain, and because we haven't had women in power, and because we haven't yet seen a woman in jeans dance with a beer, like there's no archetype for that woman to fall into you know women are either a female politician in air quotes is either you know in a chanel skirt suit yeah or nothing pantsuit jackson mm-hmm. or we don't know them yeah. you know what's funny when i left the white house my friend kathy rumler who was white house counsel was also leaving and so we decided to have a blowout dance party and it was called Alyssa and Kath's Last Chance Dance. And the graphic for the invite was Thelma and Louise going over the cliff. We were like, ready. <laughs> and the only rule, the only rule, no reporters, no social media, no cameras, no phones. You had to leave your phone at the Ooh. door. Because we were worried that here we are. There's like one chance for us to all like celebrate together and have a good time after like 10 years of not really having a lot of fun that it would be used against us. Right. Mm-hmm. And and she was in a private house. She was clearly like at a friend's house and they yeah. were taking Wait, the did anything it's happen not- at that party that you're glad did not get captured by social media? No, the one funny thing was the uh Mindy Kaling stopped by and she looked over and she goes, Is that the national security advisor dropping it like it's hot? And I was like, Yes, it is. And that's why you have to put your phone at the front door. <laughs> so Alyssa, you um, actually, what you're saying right now sort of echoes something that Tommy and Ben were talking about on Pod Save the World when they talked about this story. Am I a foreign policy expert? (laughs) You might be. Um, What? Tommy made the suggestion during this conversation, and, you know, we we love Tommy over here. We're big Tommy fans. Yeah. Uh, Made made the suggestions. Like, that's why you lock down your social media because, you know, even though it's unfair, the reality is, I'm I'm paraphrasing, even though it's unfair, the reality is that if you do something like this and it gets public, you're going to get nailed for it. Now, right. that made me think about, I I sort of respectfully disagree. I feel like the only way that that changes is if the zone is flooded with this content. If people absolutely stop being afraid of 
having pictures of of them having a normal time with friends right going public you know like the only reason that it's it's a, it's a big deal is because there's not that many videos of these normal ass right that's people. a good point like there needs to be more i think that we need to see more more videos amy klobuchar if you're listening <laughs> got any Please. videos of you dancing with a white wine spritzer yeah Please release it. Do you think that part of this is generational too? Like by the time we have a slew of Gen Z politicians, what you're talking about will be kind of unavoidable. Like we will have a generation of politicians who have that kind of content out there. And by virtue of the mass of that, we'll be in a different different category of understanding. Yeah, I think I think that there's going to be more content out there about more of us that survives and and it's going to be impossible to erase. I mean, think about that AOC video of her dancing on the roof. I also think that part of the reason that this went so viral is because there's a sort of like horny judgment from people where they get to be turned on and titillated by somebody who's in the public eye, but also get to like Berate them shame them at the same time. So they get to consume the content that makes them that that is exciting to them, but also be like, that's bad. We don't like that. Here's 25 more videos of this attractive woman in her mid-30s having a good time with her friends. I also think that there's something to this that speaks to a broader truth, which is that the people that we elect to be our leaders are just normal people. They're just people. And it is crazy to think about how much power just normal people have, just removing like the gender piece of it all. But if you think about, you know, how much power, how much information, how much access our leaders have compared to just a normal person, they're not that much different than us. It's sort of the it's it's sort of a more um fucked up version of the realization you make when you're an adult and you're like, oh yeah, my parents were wrong about a lot of stuff. Or like <laughs> my parents are normal human beings. To realize that, that a person that is like the head of a country that's about to join NATO is just a regular human is like, oh my God, regular humans are in charge of everything. They're all regular humans. Like that's a little bit like kind of, I don't know, I guess maybe I'm giving people the benefit of the doubt too much. Um, I want to broaden this conversation a little bit because this reminded me a little bit of the way that, I guess, morality is imposed on other female forward professions. Um, we're in back to school time. Uh, and I have seen every year for the last several years, there's at least like one advice column during back to school time that's like, I was out at a bar and I saw my son's teacher partying. What do I do about it? It's like, I don't know, ignore it. Why do we put such high moral expectations on people like, say, teachers? Grace, do you have any thoughts on that? I think that deep down, okay, this is me think this is me thinking optimistically. I think deep down we want them to be better than us. We want them to be better mm -hmm. versions of ourselves. We want to think that those who are shaping the minds of our youth have a better moral compass than we might, that we can truly entrust them with shaping our, our kids. Um, I want to think that's the case. But think about how many teachers there are out there. I mean, it, compared to the number of politicians even, like there's just there's so many. And thank God that we have so many teachers. We need more. But it it's really, uh, it's impossible to think that all teachers are going to act perfectly. I remember also the first time 
that I heard about teachers partying, I was in seventh grade and the very um, objectively dreamy Mr. Mr. Fan, who was our seventh grade algebra teacher, uh, allegedly had been like drinking with, I think it was an English teacher and somebody else. And everybody was talking about it the next morning and we were scandalized, <laughs> but we also immediately saw them as so much cooler. So for the students, yeah, totally. you know what I mean? Like there's something, there's something interesting, I think from students, the students' perspective, especially once you hit like middle school age, that if your teacher is already perceived as kind of cool, to hear about them partying makes them that much cooler and your respect level for them goes up. Dana, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, there's like this weird sexism that really rubs me the wrong way where it's like the sexist guys who are disguise it by praising women. It's like, think about the Southern politicians who like on like Mother's Day, these like, you know, Republicans who will vote against women's right are just like, oh, I couldn't do anything without my wife who handles everything. And, you know, she's so much smarter than me and so much, you know, more capable and like women are the most beautiful angels on, you know, God's green earth. And they put women on this weird pedestal about like how smart and good they are. But at the same time, through the back door, you're like, okay, but you're treating them like they're not human beings. And then you're taking away their rights and their autonomy. And also, if a woman actually was in a position of power over you, you would not like you're great with like calling your wife nice and saying your wife is smarter than you. But actually, if a woman was your boss, you wouldn't be okay with it. Mm hmm. Alyssa, what do you think? Oh, I think that it's like, you know, you want your teachers. It was kind of the same thing for me as Grace. Like, you know, we had a teacher in high school who was young. That was the other thing. Most of my teachers were much, they were, I guess, my age. Um, And they were, but then you get the one young teacher and you see the one younger teacher who's like, at the bar and you see them at the bar because you're eating dinner with your parents at the table, (laughs) you know, like five rows over. And I think that you, it's like, you want to do that. Like when you're young, you're like, I'm going to a party this weekend. And then you see them do it and you're like, it's like Grace said, you're like, oh my God, are they cool? Are they like not a square? And I think again, as long as it's not hurting anyone, like that's the thing. Like, look, they're at a bar, they're having a drink. Great. They're doing karaoke. Fan-fucking-tastic. Like, are they luring students with booze? Problematic. But, like, not what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you know, I just, I think as long as nothing impacts the job that they do, then no one should care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It seems like a a really old-timey throwback to when teachers weren't allowed to be married or teachers mm-hmm. were in a, like, I'm talking about like one room schoolhouse times. Mm-hmm. Marms, school, schoolhouse. school marms. Anne of Green Gables. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, or like be pregnant. Pregnant teachers were mm-hmm. like, were, people would get fired for that all the time. And, and it's like, it's dehumanizing, as we've implied in this conversation. It's dehumanizing to treat women who choose a profession as people that only exist for and within the profession, like they are not allowed to exist outside of the profession and have any goals outside of teaching and caring for other people's children. Like they, their entire focus needs to be on being someone's like underling essentially, or being like a public or a servant to like public morality, not just a a servant to like public education. Uh, They have to be a servant to like projecting this, like, I don't know, Minnie Mouse character, like morality. And it just makes, it makes like no sense to me. And it's really, really strange. 
But, you know, at the same time, you know, let's talk about who sets the standard for public officials. Like, let's go back to the Amy Klobuchar example, just because it's the funniest, because I think she would, A, be the most fun at parties and B, (laughs) least likely to have videos of her being fun at parties out there. Like, what is a what is something that you would see a public official do that would make you think, hmm, maybe they're not an effective leader? I mean, rails off someone's balls would probably do it for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> balls? Yeah, balls. Why would you snort close <laughs> to there? I don't even know if you can do that. It's just what came to my brain. <laughs> I um, don't think you could. Whoa. <laughs> That doesn't seem possible. Oh, I was thinking. I was thinking rails off tits. We've heard before, but rails uh, off balls. Like, what's is... the opposite of a glass coffee table? <laughs> the human scrotum. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, I would admire someone's creativity. Really, yes, you yes. would think? No, that's the kind of leadership we need in Washington. But you know what it is? Okay, here's the thing, though. There's doing it. And then there's having the lack of judgment to be filmed and photographed yes, doing it. Yes, yes. Right? Like, I do think that that lack of judgment, and what I will say about our friend in Finland, she did nothing wrong. Her Whoever posted the video or leaked the video, not like a great friend. Like, you had to know there'd be some blowback there. I mean, Alyssa, let's talk about the paranoid aspect of this. Like, Finland just is like in the process of joining NATO. Who doesn't want them to join NATO? Vladimir Putin. Let's talk about, um, I mean, let's like, talk who, about ooh, this conspiracy it? theory that why I love isn't more. this. Why isn't this in the conversation? Like maybe she made Vladimir Putin mad and somebody in her inner circle is somebody who is, uh, you know, doing maybe stuff. Maybe on a payroll. A double ding, agent. Ding, ding. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, look, it's, I'm basing this on nothing. This is based on literally nothing except for uh, the fact that it is the MO of, of, of an entity that would want to embarrass somebody who did something they didn't want to do to try to access footage of them doing something that they would think was embarrassing and releasing it publicly. Why wouldn't they do that? I mean, it, and, and if that's the worst compromise they have, like, you mm-hmm. know, carry, carry on. Exactly. That yeah. is exactly the type of thing, hypothetically, Russia and Putin would do. Also, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just, it all seems, I don't know. I don't know why that's not part of the conversation every time something like this leaks. It's like, who did it? Like, uh-huh. and who did it and why? Right. It, who did it? Like, it's, exact, that's exactly, that is exactly my point, Aaron. Yeah. It's like probably, I mean, because it's, it's probably not, it's not a friend. It's not I a would, friend. I would no. think not. Can't like, be a there's, friend. Why? For what end? To what game? To what, what level of? Do you think that she knows who took the video? Ooh, I bet she has a feeling. Yeah, they I mean, she knows who took the video because the phone was clearly like propped up and they were dancing into the phone. But it's Uh who leaked the video. Okay, and they might not be the same person. Correct. Because maybe the video, if we're going to get all Nancy Drewy here. Sure. It's a funny video. They're clearly having a good time. I bet they don't do this often. Like, get the chance. I don't mean dance. I mean, like, get the chance to hang out together. Yeah. And so I bet they circulated the video to the group chat because it was funny. Someone has a Finsta, maybe? Something. Sure. Finsta. Putting the fin in Finsta. Ah. (laughs) Ah. I like it. 
can I ha- also have a minute of a, I have to say, a historical precedent, which is that yes. Kaiser Wilhelm's sister, Princess Charlotte, so this is like, you know, hundred in the 1800s, would host like top court officials at this hunting lodge and they would have like orgies. And then mm-hmm. a few weeks after it happened, everyone who attended this orgy at the hunting lodge received an anonymous letter blackmailing <gasps> them. No! And people what? don't know who it was, but now people are like, well, it was, was it the Kaiser's sister? Did she invite them there of to course. blackmail them? Yeah. Obviously. Brilliant. That's a slam dunk. Right? Oh, yeah. man. Just letting you know, wow. these things happen. Sometimes it's the Russians. Sometimes it's the Prussians. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, the, I mean, I, I think these are all very interesting questions. If you had a friend, okay, let's say that you were the prime minister of <laughs> Um, if you were her and you knew who had, like, what would you do, like, within your social circle um, if this happened to you? If if some video that you didn't want being made public was made public and it was beyond you just saying, like, can you please take that down from your Insta stories? It had, like, become widely circulated. What would you do? I think you know which of your friends on a gut level is the kind of shitty one. Yeah. Do you confront them? Do you cut them out? What do you do? It depends, because I sort of think that having one wild card friend is good for the soul. Like having that one wild card friend who you just don't right. know what they're gonna do, it's not it's good. You gotta have that uh, one person. So okay. but if you got two, you can get rid of one of them. But <laughs> uh and maybe maybe that's what it comes down to. I feel like the group chat that received the video, let's say that happened, I would send a really like, I'm disappointed. In you, you have now, whoever did this, has now taken away the little bit of freedom that I have. And now I'm going to be under a microscope when I'm already under a microscope. And I really just needed to have fun with my friends. And now that's going to be even harder. And I would leave it at that. Do you know what you could also do? You could throw a party or have some sort of event where you actively don't invite that person. Mm. It's good, too. That's good. Punitive. You got to cut him out. But oh my God, Alyssa, that that pet that like passive aggressive text that just cuts exactly to it is yeah. oh shut. specialty. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been on the receiving end of one of those. You Thank never will. Goodness. Never will. Thank goodness. Um I you know, this is this is just kind of a, a wacky pitch because I do really feel for the the prime minister. I think that for totally for all everything that I've read about her government has been in, indicative that she's doing a good job and uh, that she's cool and and young and has good ideas and people really like her. So this this sucks for her and my heart goes out to her. Unless she released it herself to distract us from something else going down in Finland. Uh, little, little wag the dog, yes. you think? Little yes. wag the a dog. self-wag. That's so yes. rare. <laughs> <laughs> it would make her even fucking cooler. Yes, agree. Yeah. It would actually, that would be, that would be very cool. Um, I, I was going to say that, that Finland is home to some of the world's best folklore and mm-hmm. uh, people who, who kind of have a, you know, believe it, believe in it, but they like sort of believe in it, you know, cause it's, I, I really feel like she could invoke some sort of folkloric threat mm. to whoever mm. did this. Like, you know, yes. there's, there's like a Finnish. A bit of witchcraft. Yeah. yeah. There's What's like a. Finnish, Finnish karma. 
Yeah, there's. I'm sure it's a very difficult word to pronounce. That's one of the hardest languages <laughs> to learn in the whole world. Some elves coming out, probably. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. There's there's a Finnish uh, legend that the only reason I know this is because one of my ancestors is a Finnish bastard. Um, oh. There is, yeah, yeah. We cool. we did not know we were yeah. Finn at all, and one of my ancestors that we thought were Norwegian, Finn. Some lady went about town and found herself Finn. Um, there's a there's a Finn legend that is like a spirit of the forest. So you go into the woods and they it, it like confuses you and you get lost and the woods absorbs you. Ooh. Yeah. Wait a minute. I've got it for you guys. Obviously, what? I had to Google bad Finnish witches. <laughs> um, so let me just share <laughs> the lap Finnish. This is I found this in Finnish mythology and folklore. The Lap, L-A-P-P, Lap witches are not common village witches, but skillful and powerful witches. Loviatar is the great Lap witch, daughter of Tuni, uh, the witch of death, and the mother of diseases. She was impregnated by the north wind and after a long, painful pregnancy, gave birth to nine diseases. Cool. What? This feels like the one... This feels like who I'd call on. I'm just yeah. <laughs> That's cool. We should do a spinoff podcast in the month of October where we just <gasps> talk about cool folklore. And- I love that idea so much. Okay. That is witches. a minimum, at minimum, a segment that must occur. Yes. Every single week we'll do some... Caroline, take this down. <laughs> yeah, take it take it down. We don't know if this is going to make the show. Right now, we're just pitching. You guys are sitting in on a meeting. <laughs> um, well, on that note, let's let's take a quick break. Excited to uh, come back and talk with you guys about I Feel Petty or Sanity Corner. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details.
And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the show that sustains you through the week with fun non sequiturs about extremely grim news topics. Um, let's get to our final segment of the show. But before we do that, a little bit of housekeeping. Alyssa, you're listening to Hot Take, right? Uh, all the time. So every week, if you're not listening to Hot Take, every week Hot Take connects you with the latest climate news journalists and storytellers trying to make sense of this complex issue. Recently, hosts Mary and Amy took a much-needed TV break to look at how climate is represented in TV and film. They revisited Don't Look Up, Billions, I May Destroy You, and even Beasts of the Southern Wild, Mary's favorite film. I love that movie. So good. So good. Well, Aaron, listen to new episodes of Hot Take every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to tell me twice. Okay, house has been kept because it's still the summer. We're doing um, I Feel Petty Sanity Corner hybrids. We're letting... Our guests choose um, because we're we're hospitable like that. Um, Alyssa, I heard that you were feeling very petty this week. I'm mad as hell. Okay. I'm mad as hell. Explain. You guys, so we had a Tuesday yesterday was primaries. And the erasure going on in the reporting last night was blowing my brain into a million pieces. Couple things. One, here. In New York State, Sean Patrick Maloney, D-triple-C chair, okay? The head of the whole shebang. The reporting was like, Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney destroys lefty Alessandra Biaggi. And it's like, no, he was D-triple-C chair. She did fucking great. She ran a great campaign. Why are we Why are we not reminding people he was the head of the D-triple-fucking-C? Because that matters. That matters. Resources, people who endorse you, like, that all matters. And she has done so much good up in the legislature in Albany that it was really fucking uh, disappointing and depressing. And I also saw, according to a local, a New York, upstate New York, reporter that he said mainstream one tonight. And I just, again, as head of the DCCC, not exactly uh, sure that that would be my tagline. <laughs> not going to put that on a bumper sticker. Um, and then another race, New York 10. For those who do not follow New York politics, all you need to know is this is the race that Bill de Blasio was originally running in. Okay. <laughs> and he dropped out. But New York Times decides to endorse, didn't really have to, of all of these three races, incredible people of color running, highly qualified. They endorsed three white men. Um, So good for you, New York Times. But in the race in New York 10, which was so close, it was was so close. Dan Goldman, many people know him from the impeachment trials, did a great job. And the show Mad Men. No. And the show Mad Men. <laughs> he looks yes. like the guy Dan, from Mad Men. Yes, he does. He does. Who wrote the, who got the he, story in The New Yorker. Anyway. Yes. Uh, he uh, gets the endorsement from The New York Times. He starts pulling ahead. A woman by the name of uh, Yuli New is on his heels. She has represented Chinatown and this district for so long. Last night on CNN and several other networks, they were talking about Dan Goldman and Mondaire Jones, who was in a distant third and literally not saying her name as she was 500 votes behind the lead. And I just don't know what, what? that gets you. I don't know what that gets you. 
I don't. It was disappointing. Do they think that the race it wasn't was disappointing. important? I mean, if they're reporting on it, clearly they think it's important enough to- No, it was like, it was the jazziest race. It was like yeah. one of the biggest surprises of the night that it was so close. Yeah. And she had like a great organizing. Look, people in in this area, it's it's Lower East Side, it's Chinatown, it's parts of Tribeca, it's parts of Brooklyn. It's, it's big. Um, it just didn't, it's like, we all have to rally behind the Democrats who won. That's great. But I just thought that the reporting was really- subpar. Mm. And that's what I feel petty about. And that's, there, there's no excuse for that too, because that, I mean, like, not that there's an excuse when it's a place that none of the reporter, but like people, CNN is, there's a whole big old building of CNN people in New York City. Like yes. you have no excuse to not know what's happening on the ground in a race that's that close to where you're yes. literally reporting. And the one person who I do want to shout out is Phil Mattingly because he did get it right and he was reporting properly. And so I, uh, as I was watching throughout the night, I just want to say shout out to Phil Mattingly. Okay. I think that's a, that's a good, I feel petty. Um, Grace, are you feeling petty or do you have a sanity corner this week? I'm feeling real, real petty. Okay. Um, now I- I'll preface this with two, two quick prefaces. One is that I was stuck on a tarmac at JFK for three hours before the plane was turned around just a couple days ago, only for us to have to deplane and the flight was canceled completely. And then, uh, Niall and I had to find another flight several hours later. It was a nightmare. Now this is very common. Travel sucks right now. Everybody knows it. That's not particularly what I'm petty about, although I am, but I, I had a lot of time to think about travel. I was thinking about luggage and here's a dumb thing that I'm super petty about. And I'm willing to be wrong about this, but tell me. I think that hard case luggage pieces, way overrated, don't work, deeply, (laughs) just so much worse than soft ones. I recently converted to a hard shell uh, piece of luggage from a company that maybe this podcast and other affiliated podcasts uh, get some money from, so I won't say the name. But, and in fact, I was targeted by, I'm sure, Instagram ads or whatever, which is like, oh, (laughs) this is why I should get this. And it sucks. It's just, you can't store as much stuff in it. It's super annoying. It's heavier than any of the cloth fabric ones that I've gotten in in the past. And the worst thing is when you're finished packing, you've got that one extra pair of shoes. A fabric piece of luggage will allow you the give to just kind of stick it in. And you don't get that with the hard shell luggages. But everyone loves a hard shell That's luggage. That's true. I, 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 I don't understand. What's the hoopla over the hard hard cases? I don't like them. Can I tell you? I fully <laughs> agree with you. I have had a soft shell, like so- soft cloth piece of yeah. luggage from my first trip when I was in fifth grade to go to science camp. And <laughs> it is, I've had it since I was what, 10, 11? And yeah. to this day, it's great. It's lasted this long. It's perfect. I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm just going to go ahead and push back. And I think that the, the philosophy behind hard shell luggage is sort of the same as the philosophy behind driving an enormous SUV. If someone's going to die, it's not going to be me. Oh. You know? <laughs> I agree. Um, <laughs> I agree. And, and I'm also going to say... We do have a luggage sponsor on this app, and this is not SponCon. I'm just because I actually no, I actually used the 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 stuff that they sent me this weekend when I went on a oh. trip. And they have a weekender bag with a separate compartment in the bottom for shoes. I do and love it that. is genius. See, that's how you do it. Game changer. So it's like a combo hot, like soft hard shell thing. And and I'm I'm gonna I'll send you a link to this thing. Okay, yes. Grace, yes. After we're done with this. But yeah, I'm just gonna say like I I respect 
where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I don't think hard shell, but I'm a, I'm hard shell all the way. I well, do hard shell. I do think that hard shell is easier to put up in the in the compartments above seats. Like it, you know, because you you know for sure, like if it fits and everything zips up, if it fits, it sits when it comes to these mm-hmm. luggages. But and sometimes <laughs> with the, with the soft ones, you don't necessarily know. So I'll give you that. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm pretty petty about it. Okay. Can I tell you the funniest uh, bad airplane story I have ever uh, experienced? Yes, please. Because it is, it is, it has like some names in it that I'm going to drop, just putting that, just warning you in advance. So the year is 2016. I am on my way to cover the Republican National Convention in, um, in Cleveland and flying out of New York. The plane is full of people who are on their way to Cleveland. Um, including Michael Che, who at the time Ooh. I think was working for The Daily Show. He he and I actually worked together in a job like a decade ago. I actually have had a great experience working with him. He's always been a very nice person to me. Um, so, you know, I see him before we get on the plane. Hey, how's it going? You know, everybody takes their seats. The plane takes off. We are, it, it it's weird. It, it's very hot. It never gets very high. And then we're in the air for about an hour, and then they turn around. We do an emergency landing back in New York City. Oh, no. Something happened with the— Yeah, like, my ears kept popping. It was, like, something with the plane pressurization, and it was was just a really—it was a bad flight. But we landed back in New York City, and we all had to deplane, wait for a new plane, and get—we were, like, six hours late to get to Cleveland. Okay. We're waiting for the next flight, and uh, right before we board— I see Michael Che like hustling back to the gate. And he was like, guess what I did? Um, I was listening to my headphones the whole flight. We landed. I thought we were in Cleveland. I got off, walked out of the airport. <gasps> he had walked out of the airport, gotten into a cab, given them a Cleveland address. The cab driver was like, what are you talking about? He briefly argued with the cab driver before realizing he was still in New York City. <laughs> then he had to come back in and go through security again. Um, and and that so was just That's that hilarious. A, a really funny side anecdote uh, in, involving a former uh, former coworker of mine, current SNL Weekend Update host. Mike That's Ray. brilliant. Oh, my gosh. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was a pretty funny one. Um, I'll go next. I'm feeling petty this week. We might have a four for four petty. I'm gonna Woo! leave you in suspense. We do. Oh, we do. Okay. Well, Dane is not gonna leave you in suspense. Um, here's what I'm feeling petty about this week. I'm feeling petty about something I saw on Twitter, which I should just not go on Twitter because it's a it's a rage machine at this point. It is. So there's a tweet. I'm not gonna call out the name of the person who did it, but if you want to Google and you care, you can just whatever. You can find you can find it. Uh, I'm going to read these two tweets that are very, very bad tweets. Millennials who are very cavalier about not having children are in for a shock when they enter their 40s and realize life is only half over. What do you do at that point? Keep trying to be sexy and have fun? I expect to see a lot of sadness and confusion about what to do at that point. Next tweet, without the natural connections that belong uh, and belonging that literally emerge from marriage and fertility, the latter years become very cold and lonely. Those friendsgivings will get old quickly. So I'm feeling petty about this because this is one of the wrongest things I have ever seen tweeted. Um, you know who is sexy and having fun is and is not currently married? Cher. Cher is sexy. Cher. And having fun. Yes. Um, there are, uh, you know, who never had children, 
who is more beloved and living out uh, an, an elder. Oprah? Dolly Parton? <laughs> Oprah, Dolly Parton. There are so, so many, many examples of people who did not have children or did not get married um, that are doing great mm-hmm. into their into their and also you know what are you gonna do for the last 40 years of your life I don't know anything you fucking want yeah anything you want just you can work out every single day keep those joints in good shape you can do all these crazy like hikes you can go to foreign cities you've never been to you can do all of these things that having also your kids aren't living with you in the last half of your life we're all gonna do the same yes. thing like yeah. what the fuck is the point yeah, also like- I don't like that this person is conflating getting older and becoming a parent with not wanting to be sexy anymore like just yeah. because you become a parent why would you stop wanting to be sexy no I, that's wrong I'll, every day I wake up being like I'm gonna be sexy today and, and if <laughs> I failed. That is exactly how I've started every day every since 1991. Day. I'm going to be se- I'm going to be sexy today. Uh, <laughs> sexy I can't even- like Diane Keaton <laughs> or any woman in a Nora Ephron movie. <laughs> All beige outfit. Great decor. Yeah, giving grandma core today. And exactly. And here's here's the other thing that that drives me absolutely nuts. So, friendsgivings. Do you do you think that the people at friendsgivings just don't have parents. They all. No. We, I've been to many th- friendsgivings because my family lives too far away for me to justify traveling on the day before Thanksgiving for mm-hmm. only four days. It's. It is not. It is not economically feasible, and it is not sanity feasible for me to travel for Thanksgiving. Also, it's during deer season, and it's weird for me to be in Wisconsin at that time. Everything <laughs> smells like blood. <laughs> mm-hmm. Friends. Everybody at friendsgivings has parents. Most of the parents are alive. Some of the people who are at friendsgivings aren't at. Thanksgiving with their families because they can't travel. They don't, it's it's too much of a headache. Or their family sucks. Or they fucking hate their family. Yeah, or their parents suck yep. because they didn't want to have kids in the first place. <laughs> having, having children is not a guaranteed prophylactic against elderly loneliness. If you are a wretched, unpleasant person, your children are are under no obligation to provide you with companionship as you get old and calcify in your angry little space of like wagging your finger at other people in your generation who made different choices than you. Especially if you're not sexy. Especially if Especially. you're not sexy. Look, as the second my mom stops being sexy, I am not going home <laughs> uh, for no. any more holidays. Yeah. For any more holidays. It's, I just, I find... And I am saying this, as anyone who listens to the show knows, from the perspective of a person who chose to have a child. Like, there is there is no guarantee that she's going to want to hang out with me as she gets older. Our, our life together is guaranteed from the time she's born until the time she's 18. I send her out into the world. And beyond that, our relationship is a choice that she gets to make. And I hope that she chooses to have a good relationship with me as she becomes an adult. But she's not obligated to. She's not obligated to. And if I suck, honestly, I hope that she goes to Friendsgiving instead of coming home. I don't want her to be miserable as she get older, hanging out with her old coot of a mom. (laughs) I will say, as someone planning, you know, I'm getting married next week. Nothing reminds (gasps) me that family is a thing you have to love because it is a fucking hassle (laughs) than organizing everyone's specific family needs. Right. It's it's like it, I, Dana. First of all, my heart goes out to you. 
Um, you're almost thoughts there. and prayers. Thank you. Thoughts yes, and, and also Thank so you. much exciting, so much, so exciting. Oh my gosh! I, I can't cannot wait, to, wait to see. I want. To, I can't wait to see the dress. Um, but that makes that, that's a good segue. Dana, what are you feeling petty about this week? Oh, um, I I feel like I've talked about wedding stuff for the last few weeks, so I want to um, avoid that just because yes, it's literally next week, and I'm in a panic state. I feel petty about people on like literary Twitter on, on, on Twitter. And I know this is my fault because they're a humorless bunch, Dana, a humorless (sighs) bunch. And people just are like, I, I know what I'm going to do today. Just spew out the worst, most like cut and dry take uh, of all time. And just let the people fight. Like, I I just don't think people fundamentally even believe the things they're putting out there. Like, I feel like once every two weeks, someone on literary Twitter is like, hey, guess what? You don't actually need to read to be a writer. Like, that's (laughs) just recycled where it's like, okay, that's what you want to put in the world today? Fine. And then every, (laughs) on alternate weeks is the authors are morally responsible for the bad things their characters do, which just isn't (laughs) true and isn't a conversation that's even worth having. And yet I fall into this pit of having these conversations again and again and again. And I just, the the mechanism of Twitter is fundamentally broken because it lets this uh, keep happening. That uh, take of you don't have to read to be a writer is about as sensible as being like, you don't have to you don't have to train to run marathons. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe you don't, but you probably do. And then it's like, not everyone can read. Some people listen to audiobooks. And I'm like, fine, great. That, that's a form oh, of reading you're taking, in, you're taking in the word. It's not like sitting there and like digesting with your... I consider audiobooks a form of reading. It's, it's yeah. not the same as... So, yeah, literary Twitter, Dana, is a pile of snakes. It is not... Not very fun. Doesn't doesn't look great. Okay, so we're feeling petty about literary Twitter. We're feeling petty about Friendsgiving being somehow denigrated as not good. We're feeling petty about election coverage. And uh, Grace, what were you feeling petty about? Hard case luggage, baby. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> but not the hard case luggage that advertises on this show. Actually, no. hundred And I've uh, cross-referenced that, by the way. So, no. <laughs> we are all good here. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Hysteria. Dana and Grace, thank you, as always, for coming by. It's so good to see you. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. And uh, listeners, I think next week, next week? Next week, we'll probably do another tour to fuckery because we've gotten a lot of submissions. Um, If you have something really fucked up happening politically at the local or state level, if you want to alert us that it's happening, you can email us hysteria at crooked.com. We'll we read everything and uh, we'll we'll pick some out for next week. And uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, we'll see you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers. And our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.